Well, since uh, the turn of the year, uh, we looked at a couple of psalms. Um, Lord, speak to me, speak of your salvation to me. And then last week, the Lord has done great things for us, and thereof we are glad. Now, a lot of religion would say the same. They'd say, oh, yes, the Lord's done great things for us, and, and we're glad because of that. But, you know, there's all sorts And not all is true. In fact, the majority is not true. The faith of God's true people, what Paul in Titus chapter 1 verse 1 calls the faith of God's elect. It's a rare thing. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth, said Jesus, implying that true faith, the faith of God's elect, is a rare thing. In this united kingdom, it's a very tiny minority. A tiny minority. I know it is in other places, but it's a tiny minority. Compared with what it was in days gone by in this country, it's a tiny minority. There's still plenty of religion around. There's even religion that calls itself Christianity, less and less these days. But how to tell the true from the false? I want to turn your attention to 1 John chapter 4, some familiar verses, the first three verses. And the reason is this, that in in verse 1 of 1 John, John's first epistle, chapter 4, and the first verse, at the end of it, it says, because many false prophets, many false preachers are gone out into the world. There are many false prophets, as Jesus warned in Matthew 24 and verse 11. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. So I'm not making something up that, you know, sometimes people are accused of making a problem that isn't really there just to go and scare people with it. No, this is real. This was the Lord Jesus Christ warned about false prophets. There will be false teachers among you. Lots of preachers claiming to be of Christ, claiming to have the message of the true God, but actually be what Scripture calls Antichrist. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 22, and this is echoed in many other places, Jesus says, false Christs and false prophets shall arise. Things that, prote- that proclaim and uh, get, try to get people to believe that they are Christ. When they're not, they're false. They're telling lies. They shall arise and they shall show signs and wonders which will be quite impressive, to seduce, to persuade, to win over, if it were possible, even the elect. Of course, it isn't possible to win over even the elect. God will not allow it. But it's possible to win over a lot. It isn't easy to distinguish at first look. I've mentioned this before, I know, but I think it's a good illustration. Um, The BBC used to do uh, an antiques programme. They might still do it, I don't know. Called Fake or Fortune where you get um, an item of seemingly great value. And it's a question of, is it fake or is it the real thing, which is worth a lot of money? It might be a painting, it might be a sculpture, it might be some artefact from old history. And they gather in all the experts to examine it, to try and find out, is it a fake or is it worth a fortune? Because if it's the real thing, there are people with money who will pay colossal sums for things like this. Is this painting really by Van Gogh? Or is it somebody that had a really good go at um, producing something like the sort of thing he would produce? 
Is it fake or is it fortune? And if it's fake, it's worthless. You might as well throw it away. It's of no good whatsoever. You can, you can decorate your own walls with it, but it's not worth anything. Or is it the real thing? In which case, as I say, billionaires will come and pay big money. Now, it's vital to discern. Is it fake or is it, or is it a fortune? Is it worth a fortune? Is the message of salvation in the same way is the message of salvation that you believe, because you know people believe a message of salvation all around, is the message of salvation that you, that people believe, is it the message of salvation of God? Is it the gospel of God? Or is it the delusion, the fake of Satan? One, that which is of God, leads to eternal bliss. The other, that which is of Satan, leads to damnation, to hell. How can we tell? How can we examine it? People look at all sorts of things. They, they look at the awesome tradition. A religion only has credibility if it has an awesome tradition, magnificent architecture, uh, an ethos of, of mystery and uh, a mystical ambience. Um, others will look at the friendliness of the community. Uh, they look at how impressive are the social works that go on from this church. What, what do they do? Do they feed the local community? Oh, what a wonderful thing to be doing. Do they have uplifting music? Oh, I can't go to anywhere unless the music is wonderful. And you go in these places and you see the drum kits and the amplifiers and so on and so forth as if, <laughs> as if it's a rock band and yet it's meant to be the worship of God. Uh, you know, it, not far from us, we've got Christchurch Priory, which is a beautiful building down in Christchurch with a magnificent organ that sounds absolutely wonderful. But is the message of the gospel of the God of grace preached there? We've got Barton Methodist Church half a mile down the road from us, and it's a thriving congregation of many people doing impressive social works. But is the true gospel the gospel that will save your immortal soul is that there we need to look past how they appear to the flesh and ask are they true or are they false are they fake or fortune what's the fortune eternal life eternal glory will their message take you to heaven or will it confine you to hell and for you who are confident that you believe the truth why is this relevant? You, see, you might say, well, we believe the truth anyway, so why are you doing this again? Well, the Lord exercises his people with false prophets from time to time so that they might learn to discern the true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 19, Paul writes, There must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. In other words... There needs to be a contrast between truth and error so that the truth shines out more clearly. You know in a picture, in a photograph, how contrast can bring out the sharpness of the thing that you want to focus on. If you get the background right and the contrast between the two, it sharpens the image. But how to test them? How to test these messages that purport to be the message of the gospel? Do we measure it by feelings? Do we measure it by our experience? You've got to be aware of those things. God says in, uh, by, by Paul, he says in uh, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, about people that meddle with religion but don't ever believe the truth. He sends them a strong delusion that they might believe a lie. You know, don't just rely on feelings and experience. What is the test? 
Well, of course, it's the word of God. Isaiah 8.20, as I often quote, to the law and the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them. This is the test. This is the absolute test. You cannot do better. Compare it with the word of God. Or some might say, can't God sometimes work in his children without the word of God? And I would say, yes, of course. There are all sorts of situations in life where circumstantial guidance uh, is provided by God's Spirit. Uh, it isn't a direct message from his word. Circumstances providentially guide his people. But I'll tell you this, he never guides contrary to his word. It's always in accordance with his word, never contrary to it. Only here in this word do we get, thus saith the Lord. What the Bible calls uh, in a place, I can't remember where it is now, but a nail fastened in a sure place. Solid, absolutely rock solid. This isn't going to move. So our text this morning is 1 John chapter 4 and the first three verses. Let's just read them. 1 John chapter 4, the first three verses. Beloved, believe not every spirit. That means every preacher, everyone who comes bringing you a spiritual message. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, test them, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets, false preachers, are gone out into the world. So how do we know, John? Verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. That was 2,000 years ago. Test it by that test. Well, you say, well, that's easy. That means that virtually everybody is a true Christian. Who says it? Because they all say, yes, a baby was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago called Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He, he is the Christ of God, and uh, yes, that, that, that's fine. Doesn't all religions say that Christ is come in the flesh? Oh yes, they'll say that a baby was born, but which Christ? Which Christ? Is it God's Christ? Or as John implies here, if it's not, it's Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. Which one is it? Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 5, Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. He said, many will go. Clearly they're not. There's only one Christ. He said, many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Peter warned his, the people that he wrote to, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1, There shall be false teachers among you. Quite clear. You churches, you who believe the gospel, beware, there shall be false teachers among you. Men who, as 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4 says, they've departed from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ and they preach another Jesus. They preach another Jesus. You know, in the Spanish language, the name Jesus, Jesus, is, is a commonly used name. There are footballers playing in the English Premier League with that as, as their name. You know, There's only one true Jesus who shall save his people from their sins. So how does the test of John 
enable us to tell the true Christ, the Christ of Scripture. He said, here's someone that's true, someone that's of God. He confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. And one that isn't true, but he's Antichrist, doesn't confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Well, how do we distinguish? How do we distinguish? Well, here's the first mark. The Christ of true preachers, those who preach the truth, the Christ of true scripture of God is the elect head of his elect body. Oh, I use that word. Elect. Election. Election. Choice. God's choice. Not my choice. Not your choice. Not anybody. God's choice. God who is sovereign. Without further debate, we divide the sheep from the goats with that one statement. The Christ that is come in the flesh, the true Christ of God, if the Christ that you preach as coming in the flesh isn't the elect head of his elect body, he is antichrist. He is not the true Christ. I quote it again and again. We quoted it last week. Ephesians 1 and verse 4. He just said in verse 3 that God has blessed his people. His people. That sounds quite specific, doesn't it? God has blessed his people with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, in whom he chose us, in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. God looked at the whole of humanity and in love he chose a multitude. It tells us elsewhere. It's a multitude that no man can number. It's a multitude from every tongue and tribe and kindred. All humanity is represented in that multitude that no man can number. It was chosen in Christ. Why? Purely out of love. Purely out of the love of God, the grace of God, the sovereign will of God, the choice of God. And Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, is God's elect servant. Look at Isaiah 42 and verse 1 that we read earlier. Isaiah 42 and verse 1. Now read this. This is Christ. This is Christ. Is this the Christ that you preach who came in the flesh? Because if you do not preach this Christ who came in the flesh, you preach Antichrist. That verse was absolutely clear. 1 John chapter 4 verse 2. What does this say? It says in uh, verse 1 of Isaiah 42, Behold my servant. This is God speaking. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. It goes on down those, read them again later at, 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 at your leisure. He is the Lord, that is his name. He will not give his glory to another. Do you know in John 17 and verse 5, Jesus the man before he went to the cross in that upper room and he prayed with his disciples and he prayed, Lord, restore to me the glory that I had with you from before the beginning, from before the beginning of time. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. Who is this Lord Jesus Christ? He is God who shares the glory of God, the glory of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. He is God, but he, when he laid his glory aside, Philippians 2, 5 to 8, when he, he who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he laid his glory aside. Why did he lay his glory aside? To do the will of his Father, which was what? 
that that multitude that the Father loved and chose in him before the foundation of the world should be saved from their sins by the redemption accomplished by God becoming man. He is the servant, the man that God became. Jesus is the servant of God, his elect. He is the one chosen by God. He is the one whom God trusted. The Father trusted Christ to come and accomplish redemption. You read that in Ephesians chapter 1 as well. I have put my spirit upon him and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Clearly a description of Jesus, but he is the elect servant. He is the elect head of his elect body. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, is God's elect servant. And he was set up, it says in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 is a chapter that you ought to read and study because it's clearly about Christ. Wisdom, but it's Christ. Proverbs 8 and verse 23. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. He was set up from the beginning, but also uh, in the Psalms, in Psalm 93, The Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength. Thy throne, verse 2, God's throne, the Lord's throne, is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. God and the Lord Jesus Christ, exactly the same. Everlasting. His delights, it says in Proverbs 8 and verse 31, were with the sons of men. His delights were with the people that were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. The Christ of God, when he came to this earth and he grew and he entered in on his ministry, he then, walking this world in flesh, the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin, his people were united in him. We could say he didn't take one step in the flesh without the whole of his elect people, a specific people, a particular people, an innumerable multitude, but nevertheless, every single one, like an army in its ranks, like that valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, everyone in their ranks, his elect people, every one of them was in his human heart as he, God, walked this earth for their salvation and their redemption. But most professing Christians, most who claim to be Christians, deny this. They deny that he came for an elect people, a specific, particular people. The one distinguishing mark of the truth is particular redemption, that Christ came and shed his blood not to make salvation possible for all and any who will choose, but he came to accomplish it specifically for the people he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world for that body which is his body. He is the head of the body. There is one united body of Christ in him. He is the head. The pictures are clear throughout scripture. He is the head of the body and his body, the different parts are his people in him. Uh, He is the church, the specific church, the particular church whom he loved and made perfect and spotless. Ephesians 5, read there, husbands and wives, marriage, but really he says, I'm talking about Christ and his church, made his by eternal divine decree. Let me quote you another oft quoted verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, just picking up 
the word God from the end of verse 8 before it. God has saved us, his people, his elect people. God has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, what we have done, that I've been better than you or he's been better than that one, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us, that's grace, gift, was given us in Christ Jesus. When? When I made a decision for him. That's what you'll hear them say. What saith the scripture? To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Well, I'll have all the blessings of Jesus' salvation and trusting in him and my decision for him. But I can't believe in this election stuff. You're believing in a false Christ you're believing in Antichrist. Your Christ is Antichrist. It isn't this one. Given in Christ Jesus before the world began. For his people saved us. The people saved in him before the world began. No, it's his eternal divine decree which sets the salvation of his people. It isn't man's decision. It isn't man's will. What does he say? He says he'll be gracious to whom he'll be gracious. To Moses, in response to the question about his glory, he says he's a God of sovereign grace and compassion. And he says, Paul quoting this in Romans chapter 9, says, So salvation is not of him that willeth. Oh, oh, really? Well, isn't it just down to me to want salvation? Oh, he'll make you willing in the day of his power. But it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, does, does anything in particular, but of God who shows mercy. That's it. That's the Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. The true preachers preach that Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. The many preachers and churches that deny this clear truth of God's word do not confess Jesus Christ, the biblical Christ, is come in the flesh. Rather, be no doubt, they preach antichrist. So he's the elect head of his elect body. Second, he came to accomplish a complete salvation of his specific elect. He didn't come to open the way. He didn't come to make it possible for a man to save himself. His name was Jesus. Why did the angel tell Joseph, don't be ashamed to take Mary to your wife. The, the, the child that's conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Call his name Jesus. Why? Why should we call his name Jesus? For that name is Joshua, which means saviour. For he shall save his people from their sins. Who shall he save from their sins? His people. How does he know who his people are going to be? They haven't decided for him yet. God decided for them before the beginning of time, as we've just seen. Prophesying about his coming, Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, if you can turn back there, just turn back there now. Isaiah 40, just a page or two before 42. Isaiah 40 and verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come, meaning Christ will come into the world. Behold, the Lord God will come in the flesh into this world with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. His reward is with him and his work before him. What was his reward? What was his reward? You could go back to Isaiah 
chapter 8 and verse 18. You know, I'm always quoting 8.20 to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, there's no light in them. But a couple of verses earlier, there we have Christ saying, Behold, I and the children whom the Father has given me. His reward, that's it, his church, it's his body, it's his redeemed people, it's his elect, it's the ones he loved with an everlasting love. How could he love someone with an everlasting love, dependent on whether they might choose him at some stage in the future or not? He loved his people with an everlasting love. And then in Isaiah 42, in the passage that we read, verse 4, he shall not fail. He shall not fail. He is God. It is God's salvation. It is God's church. It is God's body. It is God's redemption. God shall not fail. God shall not fail. How could he leave it? How on earth could he leave it to uh, the whims and fancies of people that have fallen in trespasses and sins? Look at chapter 43 of Isaiah, the first seven verses. Now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed thee. Who? Jacob? Why? You say, oh, he's talking about the Old Testament Jews. Yes, he was then, but he's talking about the people of God. As Galatians 6.16 says, the whole of people who believe the truth, they're the children of Abraham, and, and they are the Israel of God, the true Israel of God. Fear not, I have redeemed thee. Who? His Israel. All of his believing people. All who have the faith of Abraham. I've called thee by thy name. I, I'll, I'll do so many things for you. Created, formed, loved, redeemed. A specific people. For the sake of time, we'll move on. Uh, precious in his sight. Chosen. Sins blotted out. We could go on in chapter 44. Redeemed. It says in Isaiah 53 and verse 8, for the transgression of who? For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Why was Christ stricken? Why was he crucified? Why was his blood shed? For the transgression, for the sin of my people was he stricken. And by his death he will justify all? No, many you, you, you listen to the churches. You listen to the message of the Anglican church in this country. It's that Jesus died for everybody. The scripture doesn't say that. The Jesus Christ they preach who came in the flesh is not the Jesus Christ of the Old Testament scriptures. He will justify many, not all. Is this your Christ? Is this the one who came in flesh? Any other Christ is Antichrist. Israel, as the scripture says, shall be saved in the Lord from start to finish. Can God's glory depend on a chance that a dead man, a dead woman, dead in trespasses and sins, because that's what we are by nature, can God's glory depend on a chance that one who is dead in trespasses and sins with no spiritual life whatsoever, as dead as a dead body is a dead body, that that one will choose to accept him? Will he share his glory with a fallen man? Because if that dead man is able to say, I will choose you, therefore I save myself by that choice, making the universal salvation applicable to me, who gets the glory? Is it not the one that made the choice? Will God share his glory with fallen man? He says not. But this was the gospel of Billy Graham. If those of you who are older will remember the Crusades, 
in the 1960s, wasn't it, and 70s and, and so on, and, and many others like him. Many others. Oh, well, well, no, no, no. We, he wasn't right in every point, but he did such a lot of good that we, 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 won't, we won't say anything against him. I'll say something against him because the word of God does. The gospel of Billy Graham, and many like them, was that God has done as much as he can. Now it's over to you. And he's standing there on the sidelines, weeping and, and, and sorrowful, hoping that you'll just accept him. This is not the God who came in the flesh. This isn't the Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. The Jesus Christ who came in the flesh is the Jesus Christ who accomplished a complete salvation. By the test of our text, Billy Graham and all like him forever preach Antichrist. They despise God's Christ, who's clearly revealed in his word. The Jesus of Christmas nativity plays, in virtually all cases, is not incarnate God become man in order to accomplish the eternal purpose of accomplishing redemption for his beloved elect multitude from the curse of sins. Therefore, it's Antichrist, be in no doubt. And then thirdly, and I must rush, he came to make his elect the righteousness of God. He came to make them completely righteous in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin was made sin for us, made the sin of his people, that he might bear its penalty and pay its price and thereby make his people, that multitude, that particular people, make them the righteousness of God in him. Actually made in the divine justice of God, justly decreed as righteous as he is righteous. And thereby, as we read in Colossians chapter 1, made meet, qualified for his kingdom. How are we made qualified? Follow after righteousness, holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Are you as righteous as God? Because that's how righteous you must be if you will go to heaven. You are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are if you are in him, for he has made you the righteousness of God in him. He is, and I'll remind you of these two verses in, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23 verse 6 says that he, the Redeemer who would come, God's, God's Christ who would come, is the Lord our righteousness. This is the name by which he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. And then 10 chapters further on in chapter 33 and verse 16 this is the name by which his people shall be called. His bride shall be called. You know, I know, I know it's not a popular thing these days, but, uh, you know, the, the Christian tradition of marriage is that a man and a woman get married and the woman takes the name of her husband. And that's reflecting this. Because in Jeremiah 33, verse 16, this is the name by which she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. She takes the name of her Lord because she's made righteous in him. In the Lord, says Isaiah 45, 25, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel, all that elect multitude be justified and shall glory. Hence, Paul's ambition. Paul's ambition, look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 at the end of it. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. For Christ, I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but done, that I may win Christ 
when it comes to judgment. And be found in him. On that judgment day, where do you want to be? I want to be found in Christ. Hiding. The, uh, the Psalms speak of that, that hiding place from a tempest. It's, it's picturing Christ as his people's hiding place. Can I see your glory, said most? No, stand here in the cleft of the rock. The rock of ages cleft for me is the Lord Jesus Christ. Be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, that which I would earn by obeying perfectly the law of Sinai, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the faithful work of Christ is what makes me righteous. And I believe in it by the gift of faith that he gives me, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's what I want. The holiness without which no man shall see the Lord is not something we can achieve in sinful flesh. Christ alone can accomplish it. He is the end of the law, as Romans 10 verse 4 says. He, Christ, is the end of the law for righteousness. He is the end of my trying to become righteous by law works. He is the end of it to everyone that believes in him. If you believe in him, you stop trying. Oh, you, you, you seek not to sin if you can. You want to be holy as he is holy, for he calls us to be holy. But you know that you don't do a solitary thing to make yourself holy because you know that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's not through my obedience of the law that I established the law. It's through my faith in Jesus Christ and the faith of Christ that he accomplished in his faithful work. It is in that that I am made righteous. It's that that Abraham believed and was accounted to him for righteousness. It's not becoming righteous by keeping the law, the law of Sinai, the law of Moses as the rule of life. All that does is our schoolmaster to Christ, to point us to Christ, to, to cause us to flee to Christ. Christ is my rule of life. The faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel precepts of his grace, that's my rule of life. His elect multitude are complete in him. Isn't that what it says? Oh no, we, we're progressively sanctifying ourselves until we make ourselves ready for heaven. No, in the Lord Jesus Christ, his work is complete. We're the heaven-qualified article in Christ alone. It says it, Colossians 2 verse 10. You are complete in him. In him we stand before God, complete in spotless, pure, perfect obedience of Christ. Can anyone lay anything to the charge of the Lord Jesus Christ? No. He said, which of you convinced convicts me of sin? None. None could do it. Nobody could bring any accusation against him that was true. All who are in him stand complete. Can anyone lay anything to the charge of God's elect? No, because they're in Christ. They're bound up with him. The sa uh, Satan cannot bring anything by way of charge against them. So if you, by faith, by belief, are abiding in him, no one, no Satan, no devil, nothing can justly lay anything to your charge. Sanctification is not mine to complete as one of his sheep, as one of his church. No, he is my sanctification. How do I know that? Do you know, I, I remember years ago, must be getting on for 40 years ago now, I, I got into awful trouble in one place because um, I gave a talk on 1 Corinthians 1.30, which says that Christ is made unto us, unto his people, wisdom from God and righteousness. Yes, yes, they said, yeah, that's, that's all good. 
and sanctification. <gasps> what? Not, we're not our own sanctification. No, 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 I said Christ is our sanctification. Oh boy, did that cause a, a stir and redemption. And therefore, being in him from eternity, being redeemed from the curse at Calvary by his shed blood, what does the scripture say is the result? Romans 8 verse 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If anyone preaches a Christ that merely assists people to get fit for heaven, that's antichrist. For God's Christ completes the whole of salvation. You may ask, what about personal holiness? Well, God's people desire personal holiness, as I've said. You strive for it, though you constantly fail. But we have it by virtue of Christ in us. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ. When he died, I died. As far as the law of God is concerned and the judgment of God, when he died, I died because I was in him. I was bound with him from eternity. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. He imputes, he credits to the account of his people the righteousness of God by accomplished redemption through his shed blood. But he also not only imputes, but he imparts a righteous nature in the new birth, which God makes the saved sinner uh, he, he comes and lives. He, he makes his abode with his people. So test the spirits. Test the preachers. Does their Christ save to the uttermost? That's what Hebrews 7.25 says. He saves to the uttermost. Or does he just give you, as it were, a leg up and then it's for you to complete? No, he saves his people to the uttermost. And finally, very quickly, he witnesses in his people. He brings a felt, experienced salvation from sin. He shines light into our hearts, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His light illuminates our souls. It uproots and destroys every notion of self-worth. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all is the testimony that he brings. He teaches daily dependence on God's grace and mercy in Christ alone. God's true Christ came in the flesh to be his people's deliverance, successfully completed from condemnation, to be their sanctification, to be their hiding place from the wrath of God, to be their strength, to be their mediator, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Therefore, we respond as the psalmist responds. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Have you felt it? You can imagine the psalmist having this overwhelming feeling of the grace and, and goodness of God, of his heavenly hope. And he cries, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Forget not all his benefits, all the good things he has done for me. So try the spirits. Test whether the preaching you hear or the creed of the church uh, that you go to confesses that this that this Christ, the one who came in the flesh to accomplish eternal salvation, is the one that the Old Testament scriptures uh, declare. The one who is the elect head of his elect body. The one who completed 
a complete salvation that depends in no way on the doing of his people to make his elect the complete righteousness of God in him and to witness in their hearts. That's the true Christ of God. Amen.